Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Deborah, and today I am joined by Brian Joyner of BP Boston and Over the Monster. And today we have a very special guest. We have June Lee of Bleacher Report and the Bleacher Report magazine. Uh, June, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, guys, for having me. <laughs> Thanks, guys, for having me on. I appreciate the sound effects, too. It's, uh, it's a nice touch. That is very Michael Bauman of you to do that. That was me. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> um, well, well played either way. Uh, June, thank you again. Um, so let's kick it off with this. Um, you're an interesting guy, June. You've been doing a lot in baseball recently. Um, you know, before you came on this podcast, you were doing something with the Cubs. So you're always busy. Um, so what I wanted to do here is just kick it to you, first of all, and have you tell us your story, uh, what you're up to these days, and kind of like how you began your writing career and how you got to where you are now. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so I did a phone interview like five minutes ago with Javi Baez. It was a players weekend thing that MLB helped set up. Uh, It should be a short Q&A that goes up tomorrow. Um, But basically, I mean, I started reading and writing about baseball. I mean, I grew up in Brookline, Massachusetts, right outside the city. So I've always been a big Red Sox person and reading the Boston Globe and the Boston Herald. And baseball's, you know, you know, is is kind of the the fabric of Boston, as I'm sure you guys know. And uh, all of your listeners know as well. Um, so I, I grew up reading the Boston Globe and the Herald. And in third grade, I used to bring in uh, Boston Globe uh, game stories. I think they were like Gordon E's game stories into show and tell. And that would be like the thing I, I showed off to classmates, which was, I guess, kind of a nerdy thing to do. Um, but uh, so I've, I've always kind of had this, this fascination with the media industry and, and, and kind of the intersection of that in sports. And when I figured that I wasn't good enough to play baseball professionally, like a lot of sports writers, you know, covering it is kind of the next best thing. So I really kind of uh, threw myself into journalism, you know, did the high school newspaper, uh, worked at the Boston Herald as an intern during high school. I went to Boston University my freshman year, which is when I got my start at Over the Monster, thanks to Mark Normandin. And uh, from there, I interned at WEI.com, I interned at the Washington Post, and now I work at Bleach Report and BR Mag, some freelancing on the side for places uh, like The Ringer, and uh, that's how I got my job today, I guess, basically. 
Very cool. So it sounds like you had a, a pretty uh, laser focus on what you wanted to do from a pretty early age. That's kind of rare in this industry. You don't hear too much about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what it is. Uh, in seventh grade, I like took this sports magazine class. Um, this was the summer going into eighth grade. And it was the summer that Manny Ramirez got traded for Jason Bay. And I wrote this like 1,000 word you know, article in Microsoft Word and like designed the page of myself. And it, you know, it went into the camps like sports magazine and we like distributed it across campus and stuff. And that really got my juices going. I just started to, to try to find as many opportunities to write and do sports journalism related things from an early age. And I, I feel really, really lucky because I have a lot of friends. You know, I just graduated college in December and a lot of friends who are still looking for jobs. And I've known that I've wanted to do this since I was like in high school. So it's it's just kind of been something that I've been focused on and I'm trying to make happen. And hopefully it's going decently well while I'm at BR right now. Um, live in New York City now, which is definitely an adjustment but uh, i've been truly you know truly blessed with with a lot of good fortune and uh i'm very excited to, to be a bleacher report it's been a really good eight months so far i love that you sort of stepped on the punchline there because what you should really do say all that but then at the very end say and oh yeah i just graduated college <laughs> because you are very young and you have done quite a lot yeah uh, i am i'm 22 um, I mean, I'm the youngest person at Bleacher Report in the editorial side by four and a half years. The uh, second youngest writer is Natalie Weiner, who's, I think, four and a half years older than me. Um, so it, the off, like going to the office every single day is basically like my editor's asking me if I've seen some sort of movie or understand some sort of pop culture reference. And I, I'm pretty, like, pretty well versed in pop culture, and I studied film in college. So like, I know a lot of things that they that the normal 22-year-old in terms of pop culture probably doesn't know but there's you know quite a number of things i'm just like i have no idea what you're, what you're talking about do those um, tend to be bigger or smaller things um i think they're like smaller menial like movie references i have a lot of weird gaps in movies like so it's it's uh it's usually ten, it tends to be smaller stuff I, I i you know i've i've tried to fill in my brain with as much research and just uh, reading as, as much about pop culture and Films. That's, that's something I'm just fascinated with as well. So um, I just try to cram my brain with, with as much information as possible. So June, what's it been like working with uh, a surly old man like Brian Joyner as a, as a young man <laughs> like yourself? I know that you guys worked together at Over the Monster for a little while. What'd you learn from Brian? If anything? Uh, to jokes, Twitter jokes. I don't know. <laughs> we're, we're, I, we're, we're kind of part of the same circle on Red Sox Twitter. So I mean, there's like there was like the old over the monster crew and um, other people I know from from Red Sox Twitter. I always I always see Brian and uh, you know Ben Carsley and uh, Matt Collins always tweeting jokes about the Sox and I always enjoy those because I don't I don't I try not to overload my Twitter feed with Red Sox stuff as much anymore. Um, so I always enjoy seeing them. Like we had a we had a, I had a Twitter conversation. He's gone national day. now, Jake. <laughs> I, I had a Twitter conversation the other day with Matt Corey. And we we're just like reminiscing on the 2012 Red Sox and talking about Mario Gomez and Kelly Shopik and Chase Lin and Alfredo Seves. And it was like, it was a great trip down memory lane. Matt Corey told me to tell you hello before this podcast. So hello from hello, Matt Corey. Hello, Matt Corey. Hello, yeah. Matt Corey. I, I, I met Matt in Portland for the first time uh, on a reporting trip a couple months ago. And he took me to a couple breweries and the beer was delicious. He took me to this place that put a roasted marshmallow on top of the beer on like the beer glass edge and the beer was like kind of dark and really like bitter and not my style but it was cool to see a marshmallow on a beer which i think is a very portland thing maybe i don't know i don't say i can't think of anything more portland yeah but uh it was cool to meet i always enjoy meeting internet friends in real life because like there's people i've talked to for forever on twitter and stuff um, like I, I did the Cespedes family barbecue guys. Like I've known them for years on Twitter, and now we like live in New York and we all hang out together. And they're like some of my really good friends in the city. So it's it's really fun to to meet folks from the internet. Those guys have blown up pretty quickly too. They went from being in college to having their own kind of gig at MLB Cut Four, right? <laughs> yeah, it was really fun. We were at the All Star game, 
and uh, we were basically like the only 22-year-olds there. And uh, Jake would in- introduce me to people as like a fellow child, which is his <laughs> words. And I guess there's not really any better way to put it because like it's very striking to see like me, Jake, and Jordan hanging out, and then like uh, you know Jerry Krasnick and Peter Gammons hanging out, and just the age gap is. You know, as much as I love Jerry and Peter, like. The age gap is very striking, and we were probably the youngest people there who weren't social media people there by like a by a pretty decent margin. Do you ever feel when you're in that situation like you're just gonna get kicked out for being like in the wrong place or too young or not supposed to oh, be there? Oh, totally, <laughs> totally. Okay, so the first time I went into a clubhouse, um, I was I think 16 or 17 years old, and I was walking in with Michael Silverman. It was my first time covering a baseball game, and you know I'm going into I was going to be a junior in college, and I walk into the Red Sox clubhouse, and the first person who walks down the hallway from the batting cages is David Ortiz, and he looks at me and Michael, and he goes, what's up, guys? And I'm pretty sure I just blacked out, and I almost <laughs> fainted, because I walked into that Red Sox clubhouse, and it was literally like all of the players that I'd ever grown up rooting for, and all of the writers that I'd ever read and admired, all in the same room at the same time, so it was just like very weird feeling of being super super starstruck because it was just like so many people and sensory overload um it was it was really really ridiculous that has to be an incredible feeling though to have that dream as someone as young as you had it you know you you, your first time reading gordon eads articles all the way knowing you wanted to do this through high school and then when that moment finally hits and it hits so early that's got to be a pretty good feeling of satisfaction though huh I mean, it's totally crazy. Like, I, I pinch myself every single day that, like, I'm basically the one of the only sports long-form-y type writers. And I hate that word long-form, but that's kind of what it is. Like, sports magazine writers at 22, year old, at 22 years old in the country. And it's like, ah, how did this happen? And, like, I really need to not uh, screw this up and mess up and uh, get fired in some way, shape, or form. So it's, I'm always, like, kind of on my toes because it's like, you know, it's, it's easy, it, you know, some people get complacent and I always want to make sure that I'm not in that place and I take advantage of my opportunity and, and try to maximize, you know, every single chance that I get. So let me flip it to you, Brian. What did you learn working with June for the time that you worked with him? Uh, the June was going to own me someday sooner <laughs> rather than later. And uh, it has been done. Um, also that he has the most luxurious hair. I mean, some of the best hair, some of the best hair always smiles. And he has told me on Twitter that his teacher, correct me if I'm wrong, that you were called like Mr. Smiles all the time by a teacher. Yeah, this was like like in kindergarten. My, my, my kindergarten teacher would see my smile and she would tell me like every single day that would brighten up her day. Um, so I've been like known for like people at my office. I, I was pissed off one day or I was really tired one day a couple of weeks ago. And pe- someone came up to me at the office and was like, it's very weird to like not see you smiling. I was like, I'm just really tired right now. I'm sorry, man. Um, so, yeah, it's, I, I guess it's just uh, kind of what it is. I, I, I've gone through a couple of different stages of my hair when I was in college. Like I lived in upstate New York and there wasn't a ton of great barbers. So there was some mis- like non mistakes made not on my part do with my hair um but i think i've like i live in new york now there's lots of great haircuts um yeah where do you live uh uh, in new york i currently live in brooklyn in crown heights okay right i'm right on the edge of gentrification um and uh it is both you know exciting because there's lots of young people moving in and also depressing because like gentrification is a terrible but sometimes inevitable thing that happens to people in this country so yeah <laughs> yeah and crown heights is beautiful um crown heights is beautiful there's so many good restaurants uh, i really really enjoy living there i have laundry and unit which i've been told is a very luxurious thing to have what? Um, and it is you it have is, it is, oh my god <laughs> it is wonderful yeah we found this apartment that is the rent is very reasonable we have a dishwasher and we have laundry and unit and it is like one of the best things about you know my apartment right now and we have roof access it's great brian are you just thinking to yourself (laughs) that all the good things happen to june and not to you um no 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 i'm thinking of something different jake (laughs) definitely thinking something different uh no that's awesome um it's like from from my perspective and i think 
a lot of people like Matt too. It's uh, it's good to see not just people we like, but talented and good people taking the jobs, um, the the few good jobs. So that's good. We were reminded on a daily and 15 by minute by 15 minute basis on Twitter how many other people in this industry are uh, jerks. So this is that good. Is let's talk. True. That's yeah, let's talk. True. Let's talk some Red Sox, man. Let's do it. Well, Let's before do we it. do that, I want I want to give June one more opportunity. Um, June, what would you say to somebody out there who's listening to this podcast and is interested in getting into baseball um, in a similar way to 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 you have at this point to what you've done? It's a very like multi-layered, multi-faceted question, um, and it's interesting, especially in the wake of that Deadspin article from Laura Wagner about SB Nations, because like I got my opportunity and I got all, all, all you know this platform for exposure because of SB Nation um, and over the monster and Mark deciding to give me opportunities to write things for the main site as well. Um, it's a lot of it is like about working hard and having the opportunity to work for very little money, and that's very much a privilege thing, and I'm definitely the beneficiary of that. Um, a lot of it is just like, you know, trying to maximize your talent because there's lots of people in this industry who are super, super talented, really, really good writers. I don't think I'm personally like the greatest word for word writer. Um, like that's something that I continue to try to get better at every single day. I think I'm a better reporter than I am a writer. So there are people who are much better writers than me, but aren't don't work as hard. And I try to outwork them, um, try to make the extra phone call or do the extra Google search and research or whatever. So. Part of it is like I'm very thankful to be in a position where I was, you know, I could blog in college for $100 a month for SB Nation and have a decent, you know, platform for exposure. And I was able to meet the right people through Twitter, through kind of, uh, you know, uh, networking and hopefully having not terrible tweets. Um, so a lot of it is just like following your passion, which is like a cliche 10 times over and, you uh, you know, working hard because you just need to work and write a lot and, and try to get better. Um, I wrote like 2,000 to 3,000 words a week for Over the Monster every single week. Um, I hate going back and reading things I read as like a high schooler when I was blogging about the Red Sox back then because like half of it is terrible. Um, and so it's just trying to, you know, figure out what your progress is, is trying to get better at it trying to figure out what your voice is, what you bring to the table and uh, just working hard and, and hope, hopefully you'll get the right breaks because uh, no, as there's lots of talented people in the industry because it's a, it's a popular, it's it's kind of a, it, it's a very fun job to have. And so there's going to be high demand for it, but um, it's about, you know, working hard and, and making sure when the opportunity comes, you take advantage of it. Awesome. Yeah. That's good advice. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and get over to Red Sox. Um, I want to kick it off with a loaded topic that, um, Brian, I know you have written about at Over the Monster. Um, June, I think I've seen you tweet about this a little bit, but yeah. uh, the Red Sox have finally decided to change the name of Yaki Way. It hasn't been announced what that is going to be, um, but I wanted to kick it to both of you guys to get your thoughts on them finally deciding to do this and and the timing of, of deciding to do it, because that's been a very popular topic lately. So I guess, Brian, um, we'll kick it to you first, since you've written about the topic before. Uh, what do you think? Well, obviously, I think I don't care about the timing at all. I think that the, the timing issue is a non-issue. Um, and I'm disappointed that fellow West Tisbury resident Ryan Rosillo, who's also been in the news for other reasons, uh, disagrees with that. Um, I think it's the right thing to do and that the revisionist history or the incomplete histories of people who want to try to make a discussion out of it uh, is outweighed by the totality of the evidence against them. I don't think there's a there's no compelling reason to keep it when you can name it after David Ortiz, for instance. I mean, it could be named uh, George Washington Way, and you should still name it after David Ortiz. So this is good. Right. June, what do you think about it? 
agree with Brian, and I, I think that the timing of it, it doesn't really matter because it should have been changed a long time ago. Mark Norman wrote a thing a couple of years ago for the monster that kind of called out the Red Sox regarding that. Um, and this, this inter- there's been an interesting like debate about kind of the semantics of Tom Yaki and the Yaki Foundation, how many things around Boston are already named for Yaki. And the distinction I would make there, like Boston University recently named this huge like building on Bay State um, after the Yaki Foundation. And I think there's a distinction between the Yaki Foundation and Tom Yaki, obviously, despite them sharing a name. Um, and it's that, you know, when you look at someone like George Washington and you look at someone like Robert E. Lee, the reason there is a statue of Robert E. Lee is not because of the totality of his greatness. Uh, it's the theoretical greatness to certain people, rather. Um, it is about the fact that he led the Confederate Army in the Civil War, whereas someone like George Washington, who also owns slaves, um, you know, he is... He's, he is honored for being the first president. He, he isn't honored for the fact that he, like, you know, owned slaves or led the Confederate Army. It's a very different distinction. I think that's kind of the same thing that is going on here with people trying to play semantics with the difference between the Yaki Way, uh, Yaki Way, which is named after Tom Yaki and is, is honoring Tom Yaki, who has a very, uh, you know, uh, it, it's been well reported, like, his, his racist um, actions. Uh, in kind of managing the Red Sox, and it's just the distinction between the Yaki Way Foundation, uh, you know, the Yaki Foundation, and all the things that are kind of named in the Yaki Foundation's names because of how much money they've donated across uh, across the city. And so that that distinction has been very interesting uh, to kind of think about over the last uh, week or so. In all honesty, like it should be named after David Ortiz or Pedro Martinez or a- any number of like amazing Red Sox players that have come out of the last 15 years. Uh, JD Drew, JD Drew Way. Uh, Marco Scudero away. Uh, Cesar oh. Crespo drive. Um, Pedro you know, Siriaco drive. Ooh. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> like there's there's so many different great athletes that you can name it after um, that it should have been changed and uh, it was a long time coming. Um, and so I'm very happy that John Henry spoke up. It's obviously also not really his decision to make. It's something that the government itself has to do. But, you know, the fact that John Henry spoke up about it is a big deal and will hopefully get things moving uh, in that direction at some time in the near future. Yeah. Uh, and just one one more point. <laughs> I think the idea that because there are many things named after Tom Yaki that they then shouldn't change the name is the wrong logical inference. Totally. 100%. But why not change it then? Right. Um, I, I mean – the Red Sox need to change it. I mean, I think I think that the the argument that um, you know, just in generally throughout history, um, saying like a lot of people are doing this, that's why we shouldn't you know go off the other path is is the complete wrong logic. You should, just because someone is doing doesn't mean you should stop. Uh, should should keep on doing something. Um, just because something has happened for a long time, just because it's a tradition, doesn't mean that it shouldn't change. Um, and you know, with the case of Yaki Way. Uh, it is 100 uh, percent the truth. Um, and, you know, the Red Sox should have done this a long time ago, uh, but I'm glad that it's happening now. So I'm with you guys. I think it should have been done a really long time ago. Um, as the only person out of this group who is in the Boston market still, um, I have to say I've been pleased with the fact that I haven't heard that many people. Uh, on the side of they should leave it as it is. I've heard a couple arguments of people saying like, you know, if you start with this, where do you stop? And you know that. Kind and I of, think that argument is complete bullshit. By the way, I think that's it's a terrible argument. It's a never really terrible rename argument. everything and then start again. But one one thing that I did find interesting um, in the Boston discussion right now regarding this is the notion that we shouldn't be renaming it after a person because ultimately all people. Uh, have the capacity to disappoint you and naming it something like Jimmy Fundway or something like that that isn't going to ever disappoint people. Well, I don't buy the... I mean, much love to the Jimmy Fund. Any organization can also be corrupt. But also, humans are flawed. That's, like, their defining feature. So, nah. Yeah, I mean, like, every person was flawed. I mean, like, Martin Luther King Jr. uh, notoriously, you know, was not faithful to his marriage. 
that doesn't mean he's not someone we should celebrate for being one of the greatest leaders in American history, in world history. You know, like people are perfect um, and you learn from their mistakes, their flaws and whatnot. Well, if I had a vote, it would either be Pedro Martinez or Yaz that it gets named after. How about you guys? Yaz is the grumpiest man I've ever met in my life. Uh, Ortiz, Ortiz in a landslide for me. I, I would, love I, would, I love Pedro and I love Yaz. My, sorry, June. If they haven't named anything after Yaz yet, forget it. Ortiz. Ortiz, 100%. But I mean, Ortiz I think has he's, a bridge. It, but just, like, name everything after him. Just make it, like, <laughs> Ortiz. You know, just surround Fenway with just, like, Ortiz circle, you know? I don't know. Like, it, it's, Ortiz is so important to the, to the Red Sox history and uh, you know, he's not the best player in Red Sox history, obviously. That honor goes to Ted Williams. But it is hard to deny that he is not the most impactful player in, the, in the, kind of the, the totality of Red Sox history, just with everything that he's done from 04 through the end of his career in 2016. Yeah, also, the, the one reason I don't like Pedro is you don't want to name the street where the home runs get hit. Oh, no, that's Lansdowne. I'm sorry. Mm. Mm. Now Pedro's okay. I'd still go with Ortiz. I love Pedro. I mean, I, I would be happy either way. I was – my initial reaction, because Ortiz already has a bridge and he has this little, like, small uh, small road next to the parking lot across the street from Fenway that's already named David Ortiz Way. Um, if they just named – you know, because Ortiz already has something, if they named something after Pedro, I would not object to that at all. But I, I really don't care as long as they, it's not, you know, Yaki Way anymore. It's totally fine with me. What if they renamed Boston David Ortiz Land? Or just Ortiz. Just rename the city Ortiz. <laughs> I could get behind that. Or they, right. change, you know, they change the gold dome at the uh, at the state building to just a, a big fat head of David Ortiz's face. I mean, I, I feel like most people would be okay with that. Yeah. Um, so, so let's get to the actual baseball on the field. Um, Recently, I guess it was Monday, uh, we had the bullpen debacle uh, with John Farrell in his, um, depending on who you talk to, mismanagement of the bullpen. I think that the move to bring in Matt Barnes on Monday against the Indians was probably the wrong one there, considering Barnes has been terrible on the road this year and has had a pretty high workload. But I wanted to ask you guys, is there any legitimate gripes to be had with the way that Farrell has managed the bullpen this season? Uh, I guess we'll go to June first on this one. Uh, Farrell's bullpen usage is like one of the most frustrating things ever, uh, in, in my perspective as a Red Sox fan, because of the fact that he's just not. He he says one thing, and that there's not really like he seems to be teetering in between um, the modern kind of sensibility of like there's not really defined roles. Use your best pitchers in the situations of of highest leverage, um, which makes sense from a you know statistic analytical perspective um, and then also just kind of being stuck and not bringing Craig Kimbrell in when you need Craig Kimbrell and he's sitting in the bullpen um, that's been one of the most frustrating things to me where he kind of talks one way and sometimes he'll you know bring Craig Kimbrell for a five out save and it's, uh, it is the right move um, and then there are other times where he just feels completely stuck in between and that, that middle ground the fact that he hasn't been able to commit his actions one way or another has been the most frustrating thing to me um and it is in direct kind of uh, it is in direct uh, opposition to what Tito has done, Terry Francona has done in Cleveland, especially in last postseason. And I'm forever a you know Terry Francona stan. And so you know, the the way that he was able to use Andrew Miller and and Brian Shaw and, and Cody Allen in the playoffs last year is so ideal um, in in kind of how you use a bullpen today. Uh, and the Red Sox have I think a bunch of good relievers Addison Reed has been coming around and Craig Kimmel has been you know for the most part just unbelievable this season uh and so I really hope they just figure this out before the postseason um Brandon Workman's been pretty good since he's come up um so I just I really need John Farrell to figure this out just for my sanity come postseason time uh, Brandon Workman has a 0.89 ERA in the second half of the season he's been incredible yeah um, Incre- also incredible considering that he just like wasn't in the majors for a very long time because of his arm falling apart like every arm is also falling apart in the major leagues right and his velocity the earlier this year was like 91 92 and then all of a sudden it just ticked up to 96 so 
That was pretty cool. I'm I'm really happy that happened. Brian, what say you about the bullpen usage? Well, today I was driving around and I've I've been trying to square this all year, and I think you know this, with why Farrell's teams win if he is such a uh, bad manager and um, if he's not a bad manager and the bullpen foibles are just uh, lightning rods, why they get on our nerves so much. Uh, and just to give a, to get straight to the end here, I think he, John Farrell's biggest problem is not, being able to explain a good strategy. And I think he generally has a good strategy with how he does these things and just explains it very poorly. And I will get into that now. Um, I think that we all know that what trips up Farrell the most reliably and, and what casual fans get upset about is his bullpen usage. And beyond just bullpen usage, his tendency to cast people into roles uh, into which we think we, they may not fit or, or up, up to which they're not playing. I think Brock Holt would be an example of that. I was reading recently about, uh, I can't remember whether I was reading it or it was a podcast that Bill Belichick was on because he was on this lacrosse podcast a couple months ago because of course he was. Uh, just spilling his secrets of football. And um, he said it helped the Patriots to have smaller rosters of people who could do more. And not just from a like financial standpoint, but what he said was constantly giving the players something to do made them better players. Um, and I think you can apply that philosophy, which I'm not going to second guess Belichick on its efficacy to baseball. You can really see why Farrell does what he does a lot of the time and why a lot of managers do what they do a lot of the time. And that is rotate players, even if they're flailing um, and through roles and keep players in roles, even if they're flailing if the team as a whole is performing well and the Red Sox are great. The bullpen specifically is probably the best part about them. Now I guess Chris Sale and the Drew Pomerantz are, but the bullpen is pretty darn close. So just from that, if you extrapolate out from that, the bullpen has been great and it's the only thing we talk about. I can't get behind uh, any sort of big criticism of Farrell because I think we're making a mountain out of a molehill uh, simply because he's not good at explaining what I hopefully just explained. So I see your point with that, Brian, and I think that it's an interesting one. And for a large part, I do agree with you that He's worse at explaining his bullpen usage than he actually is at using the bullpen, which I think is the crux of what you're getting at there. Let uh, me just let me just say one thing before you go on because sure. it doesn't it's not always the right right strategy or the best strategy because as several Patriots teams you can see when you don't have the necessary talent and you don't adjust there are gaps in it. But the process by which it happens, the process become a loaded word, does work, I think, to some level. And the level we've seen it work to, the crazy part with Farrell is half the time he's been Red Sox manager, they've been in dead last. And half the time, they've been in first place. So it's hard to get a, a real gauge. I don't know uh, that when they're in first place by a ton of games, it's the... Uh, if it's the best time to criticize the small holes in the process. But that doesn't mean they're not there to be critiqued and the critiques aren't valid. Go ahead. Sorry. Um, I was just going to say that, you know, it has been a strength of the team. There's no doubt about that. They're second in the American League uh, with a 307 ERA out of the bullpen. So it, it's certainly been a strength this year. But I 
will echo what June said, that there's been some inconsistency um, in the way that these guys are used. And then the explanation for that inconsistency is just as inconsistent. You know, it's like, hey, I'm okay with using Kimbrell in these Andrew Miller-like situations early in the year. And then the pushback came from, uh, I believe, Kimbrell, who relayed that to a coach, who relayed it to Farrell, and then he wasn't used like that for a large stretch of time. He has been used like that, and then there's times when last night he does something that kind of flies in the face of uh, anything analytical, or not last night, on Monday, uh, when he brought in Barnes in that bad situation where Barnes hadn't succeeded in situations like that all year, but he just felt like he had the most experience in that eighth inning, and then when asked why he didn't use a guy like uh, like Reed, um, who has pitched on back-to-back days over 12 times this year already, so clearly has that ability. He said that he had pitched the following, uh, the previous night. That's why he didn't bring him in. So it's when he says things like that that I think it can be um, sort of off-putting for us uh, trying to figure out exactly what he's thinking here. I mean, does that make any sense? Yeah, but but my general point is I, and it's not because I don't like you guys. Um, I don't care if it's off-putting to you. If the team is reliably excellent um, and they seem to have been pretty good for a long time, uh, I understand the tendency to get upset, but they're in first place by four and a half games on August 24th. I don't know... I mean, I guess I understand it, but every time something bad happens, it's a case to why we have to relitigate the entire case against him as if it's the first time right. when we know what the process is we generally know why it works the way it does we generally know that it works now that this the problem would be is if in my theory is that he my general theory is that if he changes roles he wants to do it once so that if he does it as long as he does it for the playoffs i am okay if Matt Barnes is still pitching the eighth in the playoffs, that will be an issue for me. But Carson Smith, they have seemed to, whether it's because he's really hurt or whether they want him to be fully healthy, they have brought him along slowly. If he is fine, he's pitching the eighth. And then after that, we'll see what happens. But that is certainly the plan, and we have a million life cycles to go before the playoffs. That's why I can't get a pitch. Well, one of the only other things that you could pick on the Red Sox for right now is the fact that they've run into more outs on the base paths than any other club. Um, Brian Butterfield was asked about this recently, um, and he sort of explained it as a calculated aggression that they have on the base paths. Essentially what he was saying uh, in this article that I was reading was that uh, in the playoffs, runs are going to be very difficult to come by. Um, So they're trying to teach their players – to be aggressive and to take that extra base whenever they can. And as a result, the Red Sox have taken that extra base more than almost any other team in baseball. Um, No team has scored or reached third on a single more often than Boston has this year. Uh, They've also been thrown out on the bases the second fewest times um, when stealing a base. So is this aggression really a problem june i'll kick it to you on this one do you do you see it as a problem a plus how do you how do you see the situation i mean since since the butterfield and Farrell group has t- taken over the red sox they have always kind of been pretty aggressive when it comes to going first to third um and i'm a, of the belief that like it is probably a it, i i understand i completely understand where butterfield is coming from and, and i i tend to agree with him in that if, if you're going to take that first to third um, approach, you are going to run into outs um, more than teams that obviously don't try to do that. And so, so I really don't have a problem. It's just making sure that the right people are taking those risks um, and this, you know, that the aggression comes in the right situations. If, 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 I, if it is a situation where I think the aggression is needed and you get thrown out, like I am completely fine with that. It is in situations where uh, aggression is not needed, um, that you don't need to go first to third, or, or take that extra base and you get thrown out. That's you know that's when it's frustrating. Generally speaking, if, if, if you were running the bases and, and being aggressive in a smart way, there's not really an issue for me, and I haven't really taken a, a big problem with the fact that the Red Sox have been uh, kind of running into outs recently. What do you think, Brian? 
Uh, I'm totally with June on that. I don't mind it. And I am, I'm just tickled. I'm tickled. I've been tickled season long by like, this is just such the anti of every Red Sox team I've ever seen totally. where they run, they have slap hits. They have amazing defensive catchers. Like that's, I just enjoy it because it's so different. I feel like I'm watching the early 2000 twins or something like that. When I watch this team, I just feel like I'm watching the Rays, but, uh, Rays style baseball. Um, it is definitely a lot of fun to watch, though. Like, except uh, for the race, it, ton of it is pretty striking just to like not, you know, the lineup just like doesn't have power this year. Um, like Mookie's not been hitting as many homers, and Hanley hasn't hasn't been hitting as many homers, and so. Xander, uh, man. Xander. And um, which Xander's one of the most fascinating cases. It's just like, well, I want to talk to you about because you talk, you did a big piece on Xander, and you talked to his you uh. I think it was from you that I learned that like the Red Sox had gone to scout his brother. Is that right? Right. Yeah. Um, um, it's Xander's fascinating because he has the raw power. Like if you watch him take batting practice, that power is there. He it is it is a very um, it is a very deliberate uh, choice for Xander to not hit for power because he wants to make contact. Um, if he wanted to be a 30 homer hitter and hit 260, 270, he has the capability to do that. But he chooses to try to hit around 300 to 320 and minimize that power. It's just been striking this year to, like, see that that power, the power that is normally there, even at the 300, 320, whatever, you know, his averages, um, the power just hasn't also been there as well, that it's kind of been devoid. Um, but it is, like, Xander, I remember his rookie year, I remember talking to him, and he was very, very conscious of the fact that the green monster was there and the fact that he was struggling a lot because he was trying to hit everything over the monster. And I think that first year in the major leagues where he was kind of struggling in that regard um, really kind of reshifted his mindset. Um, he has deliberately not added uh, weight in terms of just, like, muscle uh, because he wants to stay at the shortstop position. He's very headstrong about that. Um, and so this is this is – a uh, very calculated, deliberate move from from Xander's part. He has the capability to hit for a lot of power, but in his mind, he is he is a slap hitter. And I think because he looks up to Derek Jeter a lot, um, I think he envisions himself as someone in that mold, the slap hitter who hits for a high average. Um, that is kind of his like baseball role model. I was literally about to say he's basically going full Jeter, which you know what? Go for it. Just field the ball. Yeah, I'll take the uh, four World Series or whatever it is, too. Four or five World Series, if he can do that for us, too. That'd be good. Um, I, I don't know. I, when I hear that, I kind of think, like, maybe the Red Sox should have a discussion with him. You know, 260 with 30 bombs in the middle of this lineup might be pretty good, Xander. You know, that's that's a pretty good player right there. I mean, yeah, but... He, uh... the issues that the, I think the issue with that is that like, especially with how how many home runs are being hit this year, like 260, 30 homers is is a lot more common than it used to be, um, and and so like, I think Xander's just like in this weird in between place where like, he hasn't been able to find this like the satisfying balance between the power and hitting for average because when he came up, everyone wanted him to be the 280. 20 to 5 to 30 homer guy and he's more in his mind he's more of a 300 you know 10 to 15 homer guy or that's what he wants to be and so because of that like uh, striking difference in between what we wanted him as as observers to be and what he thinks he is in his head uh, I think he has become frustrating to, to some fans because he hasn't turned into you know, Alex Rodriguez or Carlos Correa or, or someone of that mold. And it has been more a, of a Derek Jeter slap hitter type. And when he has struggled, he has really, really, really struggled and, and kind of looked as like a complete mess at the plate at, at times. But he's clearly hurt, right? He's been hurt all year and he finally kind of I think so. That. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and, you know, in, in those cases, like, I understand, like, there's this there's this dumb notion in sports, I think, that you need to be a man and tough it out. But, like, at a certain point when you're hurt and you aren't performing well, you're hurting the team more by being out there. And you're not really doing anything by trying to prove your, you know, this, 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 
faux sense of macho-ness in sports that I think is kind of really dumb and is pervasive throughout a lot of locker rooms across sports. Um, I, it's, at a certain point, like, the Red Sox have depth there, um, whether that's, you know, in the minor leagues or, you know, on the bench. Like, it is okay to sit out for a little bit if you're hurt and get better and get healthy for the postseason. Yeah, we'd been calling for a 10-day or at least DL stint for Bogarts for the last month right now, it seems like, on the show. I mean, Devin Marrero come in, fill in that role for a little while, Su Wei Lin, either one of those guys would be fine. Um, considering over the last couple of months, Xander's been one of the worst hitters in all of the major leagues, it's not like it would be that much of a drop-off right now. So, yeah, I'd, I'd rather have him right for the playoffs. Completely agree there. All right, so... JBJ goes down with an injury, and he has a sprained thumb right now. And uh, you know whether or not this is a reactionary move, the Red Sox have gone out and acquired Rajai Davis um, from the Oakland A's for a GCL prospect, um, not anybody of note. So Rajai Davis comes in here, um, can fit, fill in in the outfield while uh, Jackie Bradley is on the DL. Uh, what kind of things are you expecting from Rajai Davis? Uh, Brian, what are you expecting from him? I'm going to kick this one to June because he, he, I think June likes him, and then I'll, and then I'll go. Um, I view Rajai Davis as kind of a uh, Gerard Dyson, Quinton Berry plus type player. Like he's going to bring you speed on the base pass, base pass when you need it in the playoffs. Um, it's funny because you know, Rajai's always kind of been – a Red Sox killer, and it's always funny how those guys somehow end up in Boston, whether that's like Crawford or uh, Julio Lugo, those types. Uh, not that those are the best precedents, I guess, um, but uh, he, he provides something that I think is, is very necessary uh, in the playoffs, is that speed threat that is always, always valuable to have on the base pass as a pinch runner, and just as a backup outfielder because he's a pretty good defender. Um, and he clearly can come through in big moments, um, you know, the idea of clutch, I'm personally a believer in it, despite being someone who's more analytically leaning. I think it's impossible to deny that emotions and nerves come into a factor in the playoffs. And, you know, last year, Rajah Davis was a killer for the Cleveland Indians, and you can't really deny that. Was it – he hit the home run, right? He um, hit the that, home run. He hit yeah, the that, homer, yeah. That would have been one of the, you know – Should have been the game winner if it wasn't for that rain delay. Uh, yeah, but I liked the rain delay just because it gave everyone a chance to reset. But that's just me. Um, but yeah, I lo- pursuant to what I was saying earlier about this being a different type of Sox team, um, I mean, they've, they've had players like him before who have been the only uh, speedy defensive uh, type. And now they have uh, good players who are like that too. So he, you know, he'll fit right in on this team. And it's exciting. I mean, I think that, you know, the the additions of Devers and Nunez were huge. And it just shows that if you have talent, you don't – I mean, Devers has been amazing, so and so has Nunez. But if you can add just competent baseball players to a very good core, good things can happen. Um, and hopefully that, that happens again. I think it will. I think it'll be good. Well, we'll close out the show um, by talking a little bit about where the Red Sox stand right now. Um, I want to read some numbers here. Uh, The Red Sox are one Chris Sale start away from taking three out of four in Cleveland. Um, Currently, they have 99.2% playoff odds as it stands today via baseball prospectus and 77.2% to win the division. Red Sox are only four games back of the Astros for the best record. They're three and a half games up on Cleveland. Um, for the second best record, and they're four and a half games up on the Yankees for the division. They've also won 16 out of their last 20 since the trade deadline, and they have the AL best winning percentage at home. Um, Nunez endeavors, like you just mentioned, Joiner, have been pretty much the biggest reasons why this offense has come to life. Um, Nunez has batted 342, 376, 537, with six home runs with the Red Sox since he came over in the trade. Endeavors has eight bombs with a 312, 373, 613 slugging percentage um, since coming up. Um, guys, how amazing has this stretch been for the Red Sox? And should they really be thinking about that first 
uh, seed in the playoffs because it, it does matter, and it certainly matters for this team playing at home. Um, I think it matters. I think it matters. I mean, I think I think Fenway's just generally speaking, like it's a it's such a great playoff atmosphere, and that inevitably inevitably plays a role in in, in postseason performances. Um, obviously, the, the the home field advantage didn't matter last year in the playoffs because the Indians were were just on a roll. Um, I think the team should try to win as much as possible and put themselves in the best position as possible. They should try to take the division, obviously. Um, cause it's not ideal to play in a one game for all, um, type situation. So, I mean, Devers has been unbelievable. Uh, Nunez has been unbelievable, way better than I expected him to be. Um, so it is, I think it is, they, they, they should try as hard as they can to, to at the very least take the division, but you know, um, they're not too far behind the Astros right now, and that's it's kind of funny to think about that. But the team has been just on a roll since the second half. Fire Farrell, fire him, fire him now. <laughs> no, I mean, um, I think that I don't. I'm actually not concerned about the top seed, though I think they might get it anyway. And the reason I'm not concerned about it is Chris Sale, because if you have to have a pitcher go into the other building, I have full confidence in Chris Sale to shut them down. And it doesn't matter which team it is. I honestly... He's the best. Sale's amazing. He's amazing. And I look at the AL right now, and I think, man, the Red Sox should win the AL. Now, the Dodgers just loom over everything, and it's very rare in baseball, I think, to have a team that you think is actually going to win the postseason because of how good they are. Uh, because it just doesn't usually work that way. But I think this year is an exception. We had it that way, though, last year with the Cubs. I feel like people felt that same way, especially when they were on historic pace um, with run differential for the first half. I agree, and they won the World Series. Right, yeah. Um, So I sort of feel the same. I feel – but I feel – I don't know which team I'd be – June, which team would you be more scared of, last year's Cubs or this year's Dodgers? Oh, that's really tough. Um, He's in Chicago right now, though, right? So he has to I'm not say. In, I'm not in, I'm not in oh, Chicago okay. right now. Um, I would say uh, I, I think the Cubs, but, I mean, Kershaw, you know. Uh, Kershaw. Kershaw. Darvish. You know, Wood, Rich Hill. Rich Hill. Rich, Rich Hill was unbelievable. It really – God. Rich, the fact that the Sox didn't sign Rich Hill after that, like, four-game stretch where he put up, like – 1.4 war uh, with the Sox as a starter. That is like still eminently frustrating to me. Chell um, is a short story come to life. It's a it he is, is it's unreal. It is unbelievable. I wish like his I I wish he just like had plastic fingers so he just like didn't get blisters because <laughs> I want to see him pitch for an entire season while throwing 95% curveballs. Um, I God, think that you should tweet that to him. <laughs> I wish you had plastic <laughs> fingers. Love June Lee. <laughs> oh God, it's just he, he's he's been such an unbelievable story. But I think it's still the Cubs. Like that that team had so much depth last year with yeah. the bullpen and just that everybody in that rotation was clicking. And every you know, single pitcher. And on top of that, like the reason I'm I don't worry about last year is that. Those Indians were so playing so well, too. I mean, they almost beat the Cubs. So, you know, when they rolled over us and then almost beat the Cubs, it's like, you know, I'm good. I understand it. Sometimes you're not the best. But this year, I think that we are in the driver's seat. See, I I really want the Red Sox to get the the best record in the American League because if things stay the way they are right now, we will draw the Indians uh, as the first series in the playoffs. And I think the Indians are the best other team uh, in the American League uh, to the Red Bluber's Sox. Bluber's great. Yeah, Bluber's exactly. so good. He's so okay, good. Okay, but let me ask you, why did he throw at Nunez? I don't That's know. That's the craziest thing I've seen because he clearly did it on purpose and – it led to the insurance run or the winning run scoring. It's mind blowing, but he's, he's incredible. I mean, he's one of the best pitchers I've ever seen. One of my favorite pitchers uh, I've ever seen. Of like I'm, the... I'm very interested to see, this is completely off topic. Sorry, but I'm very interested to see what Kluber's hall of fame case eventually looks like. Cause I'm, 
Because I, I think Norman didn't tweet this out a couple weeks ago, but it could be a very similar career arc to, to Cliff Lee. Because I think Lee probably falls a couple, like a couple of very dominant years short of the Hall of Fame, and and Kluber got good, so good, but late in his career, that I'm not sure he'll have the cumulative numbers to eventually make it to Cooperstown. He needs to. I mean, yeah, he just needs to do this for. He needs to do this for like four or five more years. He needs to get. I was gonna say six. Yeah, no, yeah. definitely, definitely. He's he's. And not, he's already old. He's he's what thirty thirty one. Yeah, I will say that you know Lee did it for a long time, and Kluber just has the command. Now, if that goes, that's one thing, but. And the uh, two. Seamer. Oh, it's that's so, Everything, everything His is so. Slider is epic. Forget the Hall of Fame. I, I mean, the way we've played the Indians this year, I'm not worried about them right now. Sorry. And with Andrew Miller hurt, who knows? So. See, I think yeah. that's crazy because they mirror the Red Sox strengths like one for one. They've got a great bullpen. They're first. Red Sox are second. They're first in starter ERA. Red Sox are second. They're right next to each other in terms of runs scored. I think these teams are so similar that whoever has home field advantage in that series could actually decide it. Jake, can't discount how... the fact that Tito is like the best manager in the American. Uh, Jake, uh, how can you totally say that? Agree. The first thing you said in this podcast, the first thing was, oh, the Red Sox are in Cleveland and they might win three out of four if Chris Sale wins tonight. They're in Cleveland right now beating the pants off the Indians and might have won the first game if they didn't make a dumb error. Should have won the first game. Should have won the first game. So here's my thing. I don't get where the gloom and doom is coming from. There's no gloom and doom. I'm just saying that that's the team that I don't want to see first because I fully remember what happened to the Red Sox last year when they went into Cleveland, and they got handled. So that's great. I'm glad you remember it, but that that was last year. These are new games where Chris Sale is going to be pitching. They did not have Chris Sale last year. Now, I realize they got the pants beaten off them anyway, but they're not getting the pants beat off them right now by the team you're afraid of, like so today. who do you think is better equipped to face up with the Red Sox, the Astros or the Indians? The Indians, but I think they're both, you know, they're both very good. I just think the Red Sox uh, look better right now, and they're only – like injuries, injuries may be ebbing it a little bit, but even with the injuries, they're rolling. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Right now, the Red Sox are the hottest team in the American League, and they're probably only the second hottest team in baseball to the Dodgers because they're. And in fairness, now is not there. when you want to be hot. Right. But I was like, can you really say that the Dodgers are hot if they've just been this good the entire year? You know. Yeah, this is kind of just status quo for the Dodgers, I suppose. And that's the scary part. But, uh, yeah, I think you can have a reasonable argument about the AL, but I just think the whole thing is Dodgers. All right. So maybe, what if the Cubs beat the Dodgers? That would be awesome. Oh, that the thing is, like, the thing, with, the thing with the postseason, the MLB postseason is that, like, the game changes. It becomes, like, a bullpen game. Like, your starter can go five innings, and then you just throw your, your three or four best relievers out there if you if you have like three or four shutdown relievers, and that's the entire game. Like it's a completely different game once you get to the postseason. Um, and so, it's I mean, and baseball teams are so streaky that like really, truly anything can happen. Like the Dodgers are on pace to win a bajillion games, but remember, the Mariners have the Mariners have the greatest record, uh, regular season record in MLB history, and they lost in the in the ALCS. Um, anything can happen. Uh, the wild card team could go from barely winning uh, the the wild card game to winning the World Series. So it's all it's 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 all kind of like like I I don't even try to predict it, predict the MLB postseason at this point because I just have no idea what's going to happen. So with that, June, before we get you out of here, will you predict the MLB postseason for us? <laughs> oh God. Uh, <laughs> um, I I guess like the easy cop out answer is the Dodgers. Um, the Dodgers have just have been so good this year. I'm a huge U Darvish person, so I love, loved that addition. Um, and I'm, I'm actually going on vacation to Los Angeles uh, this weekend, and so I'll probably peek in a Dodgers game and an LA Angels game to see Trout. Um, so the cop out answer is, is Dodgers because I just haven't really thought about it too much because I don't love making predictions. But hey, we'll see how it goes. Dodgers over the. Just about to get home and say the Red Sox. Okay, I like it. Um, 
All right, so thank you for joining us, June. Thank you for joining Thanks me, for Brian. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, you can find Brian Joyner on Twitter at, at Brian Joyner. You can find June Lee at, on Twitter at, at I am June Lee. And you can follow me at, at DevJake. Uh, June, it has been an absolute pleasure getting to talk to you and getting to hear about how your career goes. And uh, we will both be following you as things continue to evolve for you. Hopefully things keep evolving. We'll see. All right. Well, thanks, guys. We'll be with you the same time next week. Uh, if you like this podcast, you can go ahead and rate and review us on iTunes or Stitcher. Uh, you can also um, subscribe to us there, so this goes right to your phone. So thank you for the download, and we will be with you at this time next week.